Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word. Would you please take up your Bibles again? We haven't met. My name is Well I'm the assistant here. I have my welcome uh, to, to David's. So in Malachi chapter 2, and if you've been with us um, over a few weeks ago, if you cast your minds back uh, to the first three sermons we had uh, on Malachi, you you might remember that we've been seeing a number of of problems emerging out of Israel. Uh, The people, first of all, had dismissed God's love. Uh, and then their worship was reflecting it. If you remember, they dishonored God with their sacrifices. Uh, that was in end of chapter 1, chapter 2. Uh, and then they dishonored each other uh, by breaking their vows to each other, especially in marriage. So although the people, they're, they're back after exile, things had slipped badly. And, you know, if, if Israel was like one of those, those golden orbs, say, you know, that the king might have a, a golden ball that would, should shine beautifully in the sunlight. Well, Israel didn't do that. The, the surface wasn't just a bit dirty, the odd scrape or mark here or there. They were deeply tarnished. The colors faded. It, it hardly glistened in the light. Sin, sin was deep and was taking over. And as we've seen these, these issues perhaps emerging in our own lives, I suppose an important question for us is this. Do we actually want God to deal with them in our lives? 
Or, or to put it another way, when you, when you see sin in your life, I don't know, just this afternoon perhaps you, you wrote quite a dismissive message to a sibling that, that intended just to sting a bit. When that kind of thing happens, do you want God to change you, to, to transform your heart, or do you actually secretly revel in it? Now probably sometimes to our shame, we, we do glory in our sin. We're glad that we did that hurtful thing. But, but also a lot of the time, when our sin is pointed out to us, we're gutted, aren't we? We're, we're fed up with it. We're frustrated with the damage we, we cause to others and, and ourselves. We long, we long for God to be at work in us. And this, this passage of Malachi we're going to look at this evening begins to open up for us the incredible way that God is at work in us. But the problem is, is we can often put up defenses, that there's a, a lingering love for sin, and so we create barriers to stop God really getting hold of us. And that's also what we're going to see tonight. Israel, they're putting up the defenses, they're putting up the defense of diversion, they're switching the focus. As they began to look at what was wrong with the church, well, they, they moved things to a bigger issue, a more, more abstract issue, perhaps, that felt like that of justice. So we see that at the end of verse 17. They say, well, where is the God of justice? But the problem was, this was, this was not really a genuine question, but a smokescreen, a defense. And God, in his wisdom, he both tackles their question about where is this God of justice, but he also gets rid of the smoke screen. So first, we're going to see how we, we do keep God at a distance, how we can put up those defenses, but then we're going to see how God comes close, how he tackles it all. So firstly, the defenses, well, it's, it's blame. Blame is keeping God at a distance. That's the first thing we're going to see, blame. Keeping God at a distance. Let's have a read of verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. You say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by saying, where is the God of justice? So what's going on? Well, Israel, they're looking out at society. You know, they're scrolling their news feeds, and, and all they seem to be seeing was the bad guys doing well. You know, the wicked, they seem to be fine, thank you very much. They're getting off scot-free, and there's clear injustice in their world. You know, recently, I just, I've seen a, a lot of videos coming up on news feeds of some of the, the looting that's gone on uh, in shops, mainly in the States. You, know, you get these massive gangs of people entering shops and then just kind of taking as much as they can from supermarkets to clothes shops, and they, they just grab and go. And the thing is, everyone just seems to be watching on. The security guards just seem to stand by and let it happen. And it's injustice, isn't it? Someone else's stuff, gone. And the perpetrators, they just, they just waltz away with anything they want. And Israel, they're not just watching the videos of shop looting. They're looking on a bigger scale, and it just seems as if the whole world is just looting itself. I don't know, just think of the list. Corruption, the poor being trampled down, theft, murder, Gang violence, racial prejudice, sweatshops, trafficking, prostitution, abuse. I could go on, couldn't I? The weak suffering in the dirt and the strong relax in their palaces. And we know this is real in our world, don't we? Justice can, can kind of, we can make it an abstract issue, but these are real things for real people. 
And it strikes deeply as who we are as humans. It gets us, gets us angry, doesn't it? It's not just a Christian thing. All humans, uh, if we listen to it, we have an innate desire for justice. You know, the kid who shouts, that's not fair. To the adult who, who works to end knife crime, we know wrong from right. We know injustice matters. That's, that this is not the way things should be. It's hardwired into us. This is because we're made in God's image. You know, survival of the fittest, it can't, can't generate justice. Well, we long for it because we're made to be just, just like God's. But as Israel watched on the world looting itself, they wanted to know whose fault it was. Because they looked in, in the news and on their streets and they knew it wasn't right, but they needed someone to blame. They know someone was at fault, but they also knew it was some, someone out there. Just look at their comments. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Now the way this is said, it's definitely not talking about themselves, is it? Injustice, it's not, it's not in here. Look out there, look at them. Those out there doing evil, they're the ones in justice. Look at them. So firstly, that they're blaming others. And isn't that our temptation? Just to lay the blame of what's wrong with the world with someone else. It must be their fault. I'm sure social media feeds this, doesn't it? I'm sure you've said to someone, I can't believe they did that. Or did you hear what those people said? You'll never guess what came up on my Instagram. Home, it's just the same, isn't it? We can be so quick to pass the buck. You know, yeah, but, but did you see what they did? And that's what Israel's doing. That they had their eyes fixed on what's going on out in the world, around them. And of course, of course that doesn't mean there are no victims. It doesn't mean that, that some of us never suffered injustice at the hands of others. Of course not. But here we're getting a window into Israel's hearts. A view that says, you've done it wrong, not me. It's like that picture of Jesus, of dealing with a speck in, in someone else's eye before dealing with a plank in your own, isn't it? We blame before taking a long, hard look at ourselves. And Malachi, he's been trying over these last few chapters to get them to see their own failures, but they're pointing the finger. So they blame others, but, but secondly, more fundamentally, they blame God. If there's injustice in the world, it must be God's fault because he hasn't done anything. You know, as they look at the world around them, what do they see? They see all these wicked people actually seeming to have a good life. Well, if that's the case, they think, well, God must have changed his mind. He must now be calling what they do good. He must be delighting in them because otherwise he would have done something, surely. If he doesn't do anything, then is he actually just? Is he actually the God of justice? Now, for some of us, that might feel actually very real. You have experienced the pain at the hands of others, and they are just doing fine. There's been no incrimination, no retribution, no justice. And perhaps a deep cry of your heart is, well, where is the God of justice but at this point, there's a right way and a wrong way of moving forward. 
Because the right way is not to keep those questions just out there. It's to actually move towards God in that moment. You've, you've seen and you've experienced wrong and you just pour out your heart to him. God, what are you doing? We, we come to him in prayer, don't we? We come to him in lament. And that's exactly the right thing to do. The Psalms, they're full of people calling to God in the face of injustice, calling on him to act, calling on him to do something about it. Just think of Jesus' cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a, it's a heartfelt, in, honest engagement with God, with God himself in the darkness of the cross. But not Israel. That, this wasn't a genuine question. This isn't a searching for God. How do we know? Because God says it wearied him. It was a smokescreen. It's a way of keeping God at a distance. They see the injustice and they just lay the blame. They say of God, well, he's, he's seen our world, the tarnished, the scratched, dirty gold, and he's just decided it's not worth it. He's abandoned us and they drag his reputation through the mud. Blame. It's keeping God out there, keeping him at a distance. Now for us, we, we can do this too, can't we? As we look at the world, as we engage with Christian things, as we try to understand purpose and how to live, sometimes we can just be those who, who just kind of ask questions for the sake of it. Perhaps you've done that. You, you sit down, I don't know, with an older Christian, and you just, you've just fired questions at them. Question after question, but it's all actually just to keep God at a distance. You're not really wanting any answers. Because it all can get a bit scary if I actually engage with God closely. What might he see? And perhaps that issue of justice itself. You, you read the news and you're just so tempted to blame. It's slanderous blame of God rather than prayerful lament. Rather than coming close, you keep God at a distance. The thing about God is he's, he's not someone who likes things at a distance. He's a God of justice. And so actually he comes close. So rather than blame keeping God at a distance, it's actually justice and God coming close to us. Justice. That's the second thing we're going to see. Justice, God coming close to us. Now, when it comes to justice, we do try and do something as a society, don't we? We do try and do something about it. It bothers us. We want real justice. We want it in our world. We want it, our world to be at peace, the weak to be cared for, the wicked to be punished. So we do try and make things better, don't we? We create a rule of law. We have police on the streets. We arrest. We send to prison. We educate children in civility. We have social services to try and preempt problems. We make it illegal to carry weapons. We work at alleviating the causes of poverty. We try so much. And yet it just feels like we're scratching the surface, doesn't it? There's always more. And that's because there's two problems we just can't deal with. One, we can't go back in time. We can't make right the injustices of the past. Joseph Stalin, the murderer of millions of people, just died in his bed. He never was held accountable for his horrific crimes. We can't deal with the past. People get away with it. And secondly, we can never get rid of injustice from our society. We try and try, but there's always more. Why? Because we can't get to the root of it all. We focus on institutions and structures and systems. 
And that's good, but it's like we just try and wipe away the deep impurities. We just get a bit of soapy water and, and wipe when we need fire to burn it away. Because we need to get rid of the human heart, don't we? Injustice, it's not an abstract out idea out there. It's an overflow of, of what's in here. So we can't get rid of it. So if we can't, what will God do? What will God do? Well, his, his answer is actually nothing less than him showing up himself. Things have got serious. If the people want the God of justice, well, that is exactly what they're going to get. No more letting us give things a bit of a go. He's going to deal with it himself. He's going to come close. God is not oblivious to the problems we face. They matter deeply to him. He really is the God of justice. Verse 1 Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There's a lot going on in these verses, but do we see there's a, a messenger is coming to prepare the way before me? Me. I am coming, says the Lord. Everything will be put right. Justice is coming because I'm coming close. This is wonderful news. As we, as we bear the scars of injustice, God does not sweep it under the carpet. He's a God who cares and he will come to deal with it. This is a deep and wonderful hope. We will, we'll come back to it in a moment. But how is he going to come close? Well, here in Malachi, we see there's two, two key people you look closely first, the messenger coming, and then God, God himself. He actually refers to himself in different ways as the, the Lord who comes to his temple, as the messenger of the covenant. And the New Testament uh, helps us see what's going on here, because this, this prophesy in Malachi, it's fulfilled in Jesus. Mark quotes this bit of Malachi at the beginning of his gospel and, and clearly shows us that John the Baptist is the messenger and then the one he comes before is the Son, Jesus Christ. This is major. Mark is showing us that Jesus Christ is none other than the Lord himself, God eternal. God has come and he's really close. That's how much he cares about injustice. He's come to earth. He suddenly appeared at his temple. He turned up in Israel, in reality, in history. This is no second-rate kind of visit. This is the Lord, the messenger of the covenant. This is God himself coming to sort things out, set things straight. 2,000 years ago, God sent John the Baptist as a herald and then arrived himself. But if that's the case... If that's the case, well, why are things still the way they are? Why are we still experiencing justice? Why isn't everything straightened out if God has come? Well, in Malachi and in the New Testament, there seem to be there's two stages of what God's up to. If you look at verses 1 to 4, we have this idea of refining and purifying. And then in verse 5, we get something more final, more cataclysmic, actual judgment of all those who've rejected him. And we know this is made so much clearer as we look at Jesus. 
He came 2,000 years ago, born as a baby, lived a perfect life in a sinful world, suffered, died, and rose again. But then he says he's he coming again in glory, in power to completely finish what he started. It's justice. It's God coming close. But, but to be honest, why two stages? Why not just once? If he cares, if he cares about injustice like he says he does, why doesn't he just sit on the judgment seat as many of the prophets said he would, and judge the nations. Just get rid of it all. We're done with it, aren't we? We're done with injustice and sin and abuse that plagues our world. Isn't that what we want? We long for it. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Well, in a word, it's because of grace. The questions of verse 2, they haunt our enthusiasm for justice. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who stands when he appears? The problem with God coming close in glory and power, coming to enforce the covenant, to execute justice, to witness to our sins, of our world looting itself, well, it's that without a savior, no one can endure that day. No one can stand when he appears. If the the gavel of justice is to be brought down on our world without a mediator, then all are found guilty. Why? Because justice is not out there, just out there. It's in here too. Sin is not something that just the others are doing. It's found its way into our hearts too. How do we know? Because it all starts in worship. Notice what will be refined first about the people at the end of verse 3. It's their worship. They're going to bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Offerings in righteousness, that's where the problem lies. It's in our worship. And just look at the way the list of verse 5 ends. Those who do not fear me. So our lives, our lives of treating others poorly, of, of lying to each other, distorting the truth so we get things off people that don't belong to us, of living off the backs of poorly paid workers across the world. It all comes from hearts turned to worship the self rather than God himself. Sin's tentacles, they don't just stick to the surface of our lives. They've reached deep into who we are. We're marred, distorted images of God, not the pure and holy ones we sometimes like to think we are. That's why we want to keep God at a distance. It's because it gets personal a bit quickly, doesn't it, when God comes close. If God is to judge the world without a savior, that would include executing wrath on me and on you. Now, of course, there are some good things in our lives by God's grace, but there's clear evidence that my heart has not loved God nor loved others as I should. And I know the same is true of you. So if God's going to create a world of justice with some people in it, he's got to do something radical. He can't just come and judge. And it is radical because firstly, he comes to graciously refine and then he comes to gloriously judge. Let's take those in turn. Firstly, he comes to graciously refine. That's verse, verses 2 and 3. Let's go from the end of verse 2. He, he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He's going to purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, and they'll bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Jesus Christ, he's come close to refine. 
to graciously refine us. It's wonderful news. Now, what does that mean? Well, rather than judge the world to smithereens, he's creating a people, a community, where justice is found. He's creating a, a small bubble of the world we all want. Where the, I suppose that gold of that orb is, is beginning to shine through. What's he doing? He's taking men and women, boys and girls, and refining us into the church of justice. Imagine it. Imagine it, a community of human beings, utterly flawless, perfect before God, not a hint of sin, shining in the light of the Lord, no lying, no hint of injustice, goodness, just pouring out of our hearts and lives. That's what Jesus is about. And he does it completely. He's a complete savior. Firstly, he he takes away the marks of the old and he gives us a new status of purity before God so he can stand when he comes. The sins of the past are erased, a, a new status given. We are refined. And then he changes us bit by bit to match that status. We become what we are. We are being refined. Or to perhaps use some theological language, he, he justifies us and then he sanctifies us. Something Sinclair spoke about a few weeks ago from Philippians. Jesus, he's such a great savior. So justification, it's this wonderful truth that we have been in a a one-off move, purified utterly, completely in God's eyes. We're right before him. So we can enjoy his presence fully. And we need this. However much Jesus changes us to, to live more like him, there's always the problem of our sin. Past, present, and future. The guilt, the stain separating us from God. But God justifies us by giving us Jesus' perfectly pure life. He was righteous in his worship and life. Justice always radiated out of him. So as we're united to him, we're, we're covered with that wonderful righteousness. That's how close he's come. In God's eyes, we're perfectly pure in Jesus. That's who we are. Not a, uh, we're a church of justice, perfect gold, no tarnish, no impurity, shining in Christ's glory. And so that's how we can endure the day when Jesus comes in power. It's our status, pure, righteous, justified. That's how God can be just while still having people in him. It's like he says, you know, Will Allen, you, you, you have been graciously refined by Jesus. You're pure. You're part of my church. Welcome. It's not based on any purity in you. It's all his. Isn't that amazing? We just receive it by faith. It's humbling the grace of God coming close. And this means, Christian, you can be sure you can be sure that you will be able to stand on that final day. If you are resting in Jesus, you're totally safe and secure. There's no fear anymore. We can enter God's presence to worship him and that will always be true. We don't need to be afraid of what happens when we die. Isn't that incredible? That's the power of the refiner coming close. He places his purity on us. We are the church of justice. But that's not all. He's also at work inside us. That's what sanctification is. It's Jesus refining us as a process. He's changing his dull, tarnished church into that golden orb that it was made to be in the actual way we live. And again, it's all Jesus' power. It's again received by faith. You know, how could I live a perfect, pure life unless the spirit of Jesus was at work within me? 
But he is, and he starts with our hearts. If that's where the problem is, that's where he begins. He gives us a new heart, hearts that look towards him, that love to worship him in spirit and truth, who love him, have a weekly, and have a heart to please him, and then our lives begin to change. And it's not just one person. It's a whole community of people. Isn't it wonderful? He's making a church of justice. That means he's taking our hearts and our lives and he's getting rid of all that's bad, purifying us. You know, silver, he's, silver is often mixed with other metals when it's found. It's kind of got impurities, if you like, and a refiner. Well, their, their goal is to have this pure, untarnished silver. You know, silver that glistens in the light, no hint of any other mi- mineral. And so a refiner, he doesn't just give the metal a clean, does he? He doesn't just wipe it with a bit of water. No, he melts the silver by scorching fire. Many of the impurities then separate from the liquid silver. They float to the top and they're just skimmed away, leaving the pure silver behind. That's what he's doing with us. In the furnace of life, in joys and suffering, he's, he's purifying our actual lives. He's making us shine like stars. Just take verse 5 and and flip it round. That's the kind of people he's making. He's making worshippers of God, those who are faithful and keep their promises to their wives, not adulterers, those who speak truth in life and in court, those who, who, who pay good wages, those who protect and care for the vulnerable, those who welcome the stranger and the outcast, those who in their hearts fear, fear God himself. Just think how that plays out in our day-to-day lives for good. You know, as we, as we come to God and respond to his closeness in love and thanks, and know, singing on, on a Sunday from the heart, praying on Monday in honesty, that's his refining in us. I don't know, on, that, on, the, on your way to church, someone asks you for help, and rather than kind of rushing off, you give them a moment. You listen, you try to help. That's his refining in you. Or perhaps at work you seek to reform your, your workplace so actually everyone gets a decent break during the day. Or, or that as a church we're known for honesty. People don't come in here, they're not going to get scammed and, and, or shut down. Instead we're a place of truth and light. That's God's refining in us. Love begins to spill out. New hearts see broken lives and respond in justice. Christ in us refining our daily habits and desires refining what's important to us and how we spend our cash. He brings justice. The refiner, we are purified and we're being purified, both wonderfully found in Christ. But the nub of this passage is this. Is that what you want? As you look at the world out there, oh yes, we want justice out there, But are we willing for it to start in here, in here, with you and me, to make us a place of justice? You know, often through suffering and hardship it comes. And are we willing for him in those moments, for him to begin turning us to use that uh, famous analogy of C.S. Lewis's from kind of a, a cottage we thought we should be into a palace he wants to make us? I suppose God has come close to me. Will I open up? Or will I keep him at a distance? I think personally what I find particularly challenging is how settled I can become in certain sins. It's not that bad. You know, actually, I'll sort it at another time. 
It's just the way I am. But no, Christ has come to graciously refine me, to change me so that I might look more and more the human that I already am in him, to change us into into a community that begins to reflect who we are and who we will become when he returns, a church of justice. He has come close to graciously refine us. Will we let him? Will we join in? We'll just keep the distance. But there's more to God's closeness because Jesus has come once, yes, to refine. But he will come again. And then he comes close to gloriously judge. He comes close to gloriously judge. I'll say this very briefly. Verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus Christ will come finally to, to bring conclusive justice. We know our lives can begin to express something of his justice, but we know we need him fully to set things right, and he will. There will be no stone unturned, no past injustice left behind, People won't have got away with what they've done. And as we finish, may this both be a warning for us and also a hope. A warning. Who can stand on that day is the question. Well, it's those who are purified by Jesus. If you know that's not you this evening, please can I encourage you to admit your sin and your need of a savior and to come to him today. Ask him to be your refiner the one who saves you completely. He rose from the dead. That tomb is empty. And so he will come back. And for, that's the warning, he will come back. But for those of us who faced injustice, for those of us whom it's, it's not an abstract issue out there, it's personal, and it's hurt deeply over many years, well, so may you have peace in hope in hope because the Lord will draw near for judgment. He is the God of justice and we will all see it. And then, and then in righteousness, we're gonna worship the Lord as we always wanted to in a closeness that we could never imagine, a glorious day when we will act and live as those who we really are, the church, the church of the God of justice. What a day we look forward to. Amen.